Ross has all the spring deals you want, so you can say yes to more looks for you and your budget. Tube tops for less? Yes. Dad shorts for the weekend? Yes. Mini skirts for less than online? That's a yes for you and your bank account. Find your certified yes for me moment and save 20 to 60% off department store prices every day at Ross. Hurry in for spring deals today. Items and styles vary by store. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man with a quick reminder. We do work for tips. Here is the captain. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are very happy to be featuring a beer that has so many names. Honestly, I'm not sure what to call it, but I'll give it the old garage try. Today, we are drinking Smoogee Patisserie Pineapple Upside Down Cake 2021 by the Creative Minds over at Imprint Beer Company. This is a heavily fruited dessert-style smoothie sour that contains lactose. Garage-grade four out of five bottle caps. Let's follow that up with so many more names. Let's give a shout-out to Julie in Dublin, Ireland. And a big shout-out to Renee in Felton, California. Here's a cheers to Andrea in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And a big We Like Your Jib to Tammy in Hamilton, Ohio. Here's a cheers and shout-out to Brittany in Millington, Tennessee. And last but certainly not least, we have Julie Z in Spokane Valley, Washington. Everyone we just mentioned, they went to our website, truecrimegarage.com, clicked on the donate button, and now we have a garage fridge that is full of beer thanks to all of you yeah b-w-e-double-r-u-n for everything true crime check out our website sign up on the mailing list and also if you need more true crime garage for your earballs check out our bonus show called off the record you can do so at truecrimegarage.com and colonel that's enough of the business all right everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime The great state of Ohio has 88 counties. For this week's true crime story, we head to Mahoning County. 
and to one of 14 townships in Mahoning, Boardman, Ohio. Boardman is a suburb directly south of Youngstown. In the early 70s, life in Boardman was changing, changing how its 30,000 or so citizens felt about their town. Boardman was a safe town and a great place to raise a family, but was that still true? Who could be sure? And with the story we are presenting this week, you'll see why parents started implementing stronger curfews, demanding to know their children's whereabouts, and telling them to not walk alone, and even in a group, always to be looking over your shoulder. Fifty years ago this week, a 12-year-old Boardman boy, Bradley Bellino, was abducted and murdered. His case remains open, and not for a lack of effort. The Boardman Police Department did everything in their power over the course of five decades to find justice for Brad and the Bellino family. They have tried everything, every resource, even calling on other law enforcement agencies for help. And yet, the person or persons responsible remain a mystery. The following is from the Akron Beacon Journal. The headline, Nothing Was Normal, The Weekend of Slaying. And the article reads, Normally when he left his best friend's house after an afternoon of playing basketball, Bradley Bellino went directly home. Normally, Don Templeman's parents drove Bradley the several miles to his home. Normally, Bradley, 12, would be talking to Don on the phone the next day, setting up another rendezvous for basketball, talking or walking. But Easter weekend wasn't normal. Sometime after he left the Templeman house at 7.30 p.m. Friday, Bradley was sexually molested, strangled to death, and stuffed into a trash bin where his body was discovered that Tuesday morning. His body still bore the red, white, and blue jeans and the t-shirt with the devil made me do it emblazoned across it that he was wearing when he left the Templemans. Quote, if Brad left here after dark, we would drive him home, said Mrs. Templeman. But Friday, I was shopping and my husband was sick. So Brad left on his own. Don didn't hear from him again. Bradley's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Bellino, didn't report their son missing until Saturday afternoon, apparently due to a misunderstanding about whether he would stay overnight Friday with the Templemans. The coroner investigator stated, quote, We hope to be able to pinpoint the time of death more accurately when our lab tests are complete. The headline was right. Nothing was normal that weekend, not for anyone in Boardman and it would be a long time before things would start to feel normal again. Because unfortunately, this was not the first of its kind for Boardman. And sadly, it would not be the last. Bradley's murder was sandwiched right between the murders of two other boys from Boardman. That's right, three murders, three kids, all in the span of less than five years. As one writer from Boardman put it, there was a dread a pale that hung over the community for some time. That period of time for the community was one of distress and horror. Evoking the words of Buffalo Springfield, he wrote, There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the true crime story of the still unsolved Boardman, Ohio murders.
It was 50 years ago this week that a boy walking alone was abducted, and his body was found just days later. It was Easter break with no school on Friday, March 31st, 1972. Adults were stuck in their normal routines, but for kids, time off from school meant extra time with friends. 12-year-old Brad Bellino was well-liked and had plenty of friends, but he had only one best friend, one that stood out and well above others on the old friendship ranking scale. This was Don Templeman. To say that the two were close would be an understatement. They were classmates together, sixth grade at Boardman Center Middle School. They both played baseball and were teammates three years running. If they weren't at school or playing baseball, they were together with sleepovers nearly every weekend. This Easter weekend was supposed to be a lot of the same, but remember, nothing seemed normal that weekend. Now, leading up to Brad's disappearance, he and Don spent most of Wednesday evening together. Then again, Thursday evening. There was no school on Friday. On Friday, March 31st, around 12.30 p.m. in the afternoon, Brad left home to go to Don's house. Brad was told to be back to his house at 8 p.m. Here's where things start to get bad. So we have Brad's mother. She's at work that evening. Brad's dad, he's out with friends. Don's mother was at the grocery. And Don's father was sick in bed. So Brad has to get home. So he was going to have to go it alone and on foot. So he left the Templeman's house. They lived in Applewood Acres, which was known at the time as a nice upper middle class development. He leaves there at approximately 7.30 p.m. Brad lived on McClurg Road. This is a little more than three miles away. That time of year in Northeast Ohio, the sun sets before 8 p.m. Brad will lose a little more of the light with each step he took toward his home. Brad sadly never made it home that night. What happened after he left? What unspeakable horror was waiting for him and where? Well, maybe a few blocks to go between houses of you and your friend, but three miles, that's a long distance for a sixth grader. That it is, Captain. And it seems like this wouldn't have been terribly uncommon, or at least not the first time that he had made the walk either from his house to Don's or the reverse, that he's done this before. This might be one of the later times at night, because I think the way that the story has always kind of been told was that the Bellinos, they were busy, right? His father's out with friends. His mom is at work and she works kind of out of town. So the way that I've always heard this story, Captain, was that his mom, because she works out of town, sometimes would have to stay overnight and right. then return on the weekends. So the situation is this that I believe the Bellinos just thought that the Templemans would drive him home, which they had done dozens of times. I mean, these boys were were very close, and I, I think all of us can reminisce and think back to our childhoods when you have that one super tight friend that you're always just kind of with, whether it's for a summer or for a whole school year. But these guys were like this for a couple of years. 
and they would routinely stay the night at each other's houses on the weekends. Why Brad didn't stay the night on this Friday at the Templeman's is a little unclear. And we'll get into some of the discrepancies regarding his disappearance and in that time frame as we go through it here. But it's my belief that the Bellinos thought that the Templemans would drive him home. And as circumstance would have it with Don's mother being busy out shopping and the father sick in bed, that this was just kind of a miscommunication and the boy ends up walking home to get home, to be home at the time that his father had instructed him to be there. Well, it could be as simple as two sixth graders making that decision. Hey, my my dad's sick. Mom's not here. Well, I'll just walk home. No big deal. The missing boy story, Brad's story, was well covered by the Youngstown area news media. One newspaper listed Brad Bellino to be 12 years of age, 4 feet 8 inches tall, weighing about 80 pounds. So he's small for his age. He has blonde hair. It's cut below the ears, blue eyes. He was wearing blue jeans, a blue ski jacket, and white tennis shoes with black stripes. Now, Brad's body was found several days later. But before we get to that, there is that little bit of confusion that I talked about. There's actually quite a bit of confusion as to what exactly takes place and when. This is all during the time frame of when he is missing. So after he leaves his best friend, Don's home, and when his body is discovered several days later. So Brad was not an only child. He had siblings. And from what I could find and what I've been told, Brad was 12 at the time, and he was the youngest of the Bellino kids. So there are older children in the Bellino home. Brad's father was out until about 2 a.m. that night. And when he comes home, He just makes the assumption that Brad was home. And so he goes straight to bed and he sleeps in the next morning. Brad's mother, as we said, was out of town with work. So his father does not notice that Brad is not home until the middle of the day on Saturday, the next day. Now, I want to get into some shout outs here real quick, Captain. I believe Mm -hmm. they are in order. There's a a gentleman named Rich Comstock of 51weeks.com. He wrote the story, There's Something Happening Here, which we referenced at the start of the show in this week's trailer. His is a slightly fictionalized, on purpose, but still a very good version of the Boardman murder story. I recommend that everyone check that out because it's very well done. There is a ton of truth in his story, and he grew up in the area around that time. So you'll get a firsthand sense of the dread that hung over the community and be able to really feel the fear that crept in and sort of overshadows the young lives of these younger Boardman kids. The second shout out is to Carolyn Bardino. She is a friend of the Porchlight Project. Carolyn wrote a piece that is featured on Porchlight's website, porchlightonline.org, which is titled An Exclusive Porchlight Project Investigation, The Unsolved Murder of Brad Bellino. So I encourage everyone to check that out as well. And while you're there, take a minute or two to learn more about the Porchlight Project, a nonprofit that helps victims and helps to heat up and even solve some Ohio cold cases, porchlightonline.org. So this next batch 
captain of information in the Brad case, a lot of it is taken directly from that article. Carolyn got a lot of other parts and angles to the case that you'll want to check out, but this part was necessary to take from there. Let's not glaze over the fact that seems like his dad went out with friends, which is no big deal. Probably went out drinking. There's no problem with that. But to come home and not check that your kids are in their bed and everybody's safe and sound and lock the doors and all that stuff. Don't really care too much for that. seems a little irresponsible. And then not even knowing that he's gone until midday the next day, that makes things a little more difficult as far as the investigation is concerned. Yeah, it certainly doesn't help matters at all. So let's get into those conflicting reports. So as Carolyn writes, there are conflicting reports from different sources about what exactly happened next. What is known for sure is that Brad was reported missing the next day at 3.20 p.m. So just a reminder, this is Saturday, April 1st, 1972. Police, family, and friends spent the rest of the holiday weekend searching for him. Later in the article, Carolyn writes, As often happens with cases that have gone unsolved for decades, there are some conflicting reports in the details. Because the investigation is still open, case files are closed, making it difficult to reconcile some of the facts. The first questions that remain are who reported Brad missing and under what circumstances did he decide to leave and walk home from the Templeman's house? Local newspapers have published that it was Brad's mom who reported Brad missing when she came home from work on Saturday. Articles state Brad was to stay at Don's until 9 p.m., and it is unknown why he left early at 7.30 p.m. Other news articles state that it was Brad's sister, Debbie, who called police that Saturday afternoon. Now, to complicate matters even further... We have Brad's best friend, Don, who remembers that over that Easter weekend, he and Brad had been alternating spending the night at each other's houses. On the Friday night before Easter, Brad called home. This is according to Don Templeman. Brad called home and told his brother he'd be sleeping over at Don's house that night. Don says about 20 minutes later, Brad's father called and told Brad, no, he needed to come home instead. So following his dad's instructions, Brad leaves Don's home at 7.30 p.m. without a ride. Makes some sense on why you wouldn't stay because it is a holiday. You know, maybe you were staying back and forth when it wasn't a holiday, but to stay to Easter Easter Sunday might be an inconvenience to uh, your friend's family. Well, and Brad has always been described as one of these kids that was adventurous, you know, so he, he could take things on by himself and, and go out exploring or maybe, maybe stray off the path a little bit, but everybody has consistently said that even though he was adventurous, if he was told to do something by his parents, he did. And and he, he followed through with it. So he minded his parents. So he's going off of, if we're to go off of Don's story, the father instructed him to be home at some point that night, not to stay the night. And so Brad chooses to leave at seven 30 without a ride. Right. Don then says that he went to bed sometime after Brad left. This would be around 10 PM. This is where the story gets a little difficult and we'll try to sort this out. Don says that Brad's brother called that same night 
and asked Mrs. Templeman if Brad had left because he had not made it home. So Mrs. Templeman tells Brad's brother, yes, he has left and he left hours ago. So immediately concerned, Don's mother wakes him up and Don says that him and his family drove the route that Brad would have walked back to his house, but could not find him. It is unclear at this time what impact these discrepancies have had on the case, but the confusion surrounding the answers may help to explain why it took so long for the police to be called. Again, Brad was the youngest of four children in the Bellino family, and the natural chaos of a household of six people, all on different schedules, likely contributed to the delay in reporting him missing. Now, secondly, we have another remaining question with conflicting answers is when was Brad last seen? So early newspaper reports say that he was seen Saturday afternoon in multiple locations playing basketball on Matthews road near Don Templeman's house. They also say that he was seen at the Southern park mall and at the dairy queen near North Lima. Later reports say that the sightings were unconfirmed and that witnesses may have actually seen Brad at those locations on Friday and that these witnesses may have gotten confused because there was no school for the holiday on that Friday, confusing Saturday for Friday. Well, we see that in a lot of cases where it's a holiday weekend and so everybody's memory, everybody's memories seem to be a little confused because of that extra time period. I want to throw this out there too. In regard to these these sightings nope. of Brad on Saturday, <laughs> if you'll allow it, Captain. Sure. We've reviewed, unfortunately, this is not our first child abduction and murder case that we've reviewed here in the garage. We've reviewed dozens of these. And it's not uncommon for us to come across these sightings of a missing child at a location, hanging out, playing video games, often getting ice cream, you know, doing childlike things or hanging around other kids a day or two after it's believed that they had gone missing. Right. And I think a lot of that is just the way that we are kind of structured as humans, as adults, and even as parents, where I think these sightings are just coming about by way of people that really want to try to help that really want to try to do some good and phone into the police. Hey, a lot of the way that a lot of these go down is these people are saying, you know, I saw a boy matching his description over at the skating rink, or I saw a boy that looked like the Bellino kid. Uh, he was playing basketball. And so it's not anybody saying I spoke to him and it was Brad. It's people that are saying, you know, I saw a kid that matches his description. You might want to look into it. Well, and back in the day when it was nice weather out or even decent weather out, you would see a lot of kids playing Every couple blocks, you'd see kids on their bike or kids walking or kids playing out in their front yard or the backyard, maybe shooting some hoops. This was very common, you know, less common today uh, now because of computers and the amount of interesting things for kids to do inside. And the default setting for as long as I could remember, hey, stop bothering me. Why don't you get on your iPad or jump on your computer or go play video games? The default setting used to be, Hey, you're bothering me. Go outside and play. Right. And they're being asked this after the fact, as we will see, because we know that he wasn't reported missing until 3.20 p.m. on Saturday. So by the time that the police are out, like canvassing the area, knocking on doors, asking 
adults and other children if they had seen Brad. This isn't taking place until Saturday night, Sunday, and Monday, right? And so I believe, again, these are people that are just trying to help. And let's face it, a lot of kids look the same, especially when you're given a vague description. Like, did you see a kid that's four and a half feet tall, blonde hair, wearing blue jeans? Yeah. Yeah, I did. (laughs) I've seen several of those uh, in the past few days. So I think that helps to explain some of that. And in Don's statement here will kind of echo what we were saying earlier, Captain, about Brad. So Don Templeman, his best friend, says, this is him saying this as an adult, years years later after he was interviewed as an adult. He says the reports that Brad being seen on Saturday cannot be accurate in his mind. He says, quote, that's impossible. He was going home. If he had other intentions in mind, like I said, we spent almost every day together for three years. If he had an ulterior motive, he would have told me. He wouldn't have said, I'm going home. That's just crazy. He just wasn't that way. If his dad told him to come home, he'd go home, end quote. Totally believe what he's saying. I mean, obviously, obviously this was his best friend. They were BFFs, right? And Right. But if there was some kids playing outside on his path home, it's not impossible to think a kid might not stop for a minute and shoot some hoops or get sidetracked right Uh, here's my other buddy let me say hello shoot some hoops and and then i'll be on my way but i i think the other thing too here is yeah i i agree totally with you kids get sidetracked hell i get sidetracked all the time but squirrel now we have to take it a step further and go that was friday night did did Brad get sidetracked enough that he was still not at home by Saturday afternoon? You know, that's a, right. that's a long time away. And I think what Don is, is saying, if you read between the lines, but he's not, he's not clearly saying it outright is that if Brad was playing basketball on Saturday, I would have been playing basketball with him. If he was at the dairy queen, he would have went there with me. You know what I mean? Right. He, he's, he's letting you know, like, yeah, he said he was going home. If he was doing a bunch of stuff on Saturday by himself, I would have been involved because we hung out all the time. So I think let's, I want to f- address the conflicting stories of, you know, it was noticed that Brad was missing late Friday night. The Templemans go out looking for him, according to Don. That's what he remembers versus what has been reported in the papers that Brad's father woke up a little before noon. Brad's father says he went out looking for his son, and then when he couldn't find him, he called the police. So again, what we do know, the -hmm. fact is this, Brad was reported missing to police at 3.20 p.m. on Saturday. That is from the report taken by the Boardman Police Department. So that is fact. Now, the information Don is relaying, Again, keeping in mind, he is being asked this question over four decades later. So he remembers it one way. It's always been reported a different way. Don could be simply misremembering, or he could be right in that that information never made it to the papers for some reason. Regardless, we do know by all accounts that Brad left Don's house at 7.30 p.m. Friday night, and at some point, It is noticed by the Bellino family, his own family, that he is missing. A search ensues, 
and he is reported missing less than 24 hours later at 3.20 p.m. on Saturday. Easter Sunday, he does not come home, and then his body is located on April 4th. So he's missing for a few days here, Captain, and unfortunately his body is located on April 4th. The short of it is he's found in a dumpster. Then comes the Youngstown Vindicator article. I'm guessing this was an evening newspaper back then. The headline reads, Refuse Man Makes Grim Discovery. And the article itself reads as follows. The body of Bradley Bellino, 12, of 61 McClurg Road, missing since last Friday night, was found stuffed in a large refuse container behind a store at Boardman Plaza about 8 a.m. today. Boardman Police Chief David Hartsock confirmed the identity after he was called to the rear of the Isley Dairy Store at 263 Boardman Canfield Road. Quote, we do not know whether there are any wounds in the body, because we will not remove it until the coroner's investigator arrives, end quote. It is the Bellino boy, he said. When asked for confirmation, we have the coroner's investigator said it appeared that the body and the boy had been strangled with a belt that was still around his neck when he was found. He ordered the body to the Southside Hospital for an autopsy. According to Chief Hartsock, he said Paul Smith, an employee of the sanitation service, went to pick up the refuse container and spotted the body in the debris at about 8 a.m. He called the Boardman police. Smith said that the boy's feet were showing and he touched them to see if it might be a mannequin, but found it was the boy's body. And then it goes on to say it appears that the body was fully clothed. The trash company last emptied this container at noon on Friday. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. 
Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
All right, we are back. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Cheers to you, Colonel. In whichever order you choose to do it. Thanks for telling a friend and thanks for listening. Yeah, whichever whichever way you choose. And, and make sure you subscribe. Tall cans in the air. This is a case, Captain, that's not well known. It, it, was, it was covered well in the local newspapers at the time. Brad's homicide and abduction. And it's not one that is really well known on a national level. And you can find this. You can look up the Boardman murders. It's called a, a bunch of different things. The Boardman boys. A lot of times they people were only covering Brad's case, but it's one that that's covered, covered a little bit, but not well known in the true crime arena. So I'm happy that we are covering this one here today. This was one that I had always wanted to cover, but as everybody will see, it's quite the complicated story and I'd always shied away from doing it. But with, with the anniversary, with the 50 year anniversary of Brad's unsolved homicide coming up this week, I felt, you know, there was no better time to to cover it. And if we were going to cover it, we we better do it now. And so I had to track down a lot of dif- different information, get a lot of different people involved to provide information because there's just not a bunch of it out there. Easy case to relate to because how many times did you spend hanging out with your best friend and, and then having to leave their house and to go home, whether it's on bike or foot or or their parents take you home or your parents pick you up. It's just, it's, um, it's an easy case to resonate in inside oneself. Yeah. And I rode my bike as I remember you doing as well. We rode our bikes damn near everywhere when we were Brad's age. And, but I will say this, even though I walked a lot of places, I don't remember ever walking anything like like this distance. I think one time I missed the bus and rather than telling my parents, I decided I would just walk so I wouldn't get in trouble, which was kind of dumb because I show up like an hour and a half late right. home. And so it's obvious what happened. So I think that's the only time I actually walked that distance. The rest of the time would be on a bike. And I couldn't imagine, you know, being 12, you know, just how dark it may have been at some point during the course of his walk. The other thing too, is we don't know how far he made it into that walk. All we know is he didn't come home, but we have to remember that Brad is only 12. And so he could have maybe made that uh, trek multiple times on a bike. And this was the first time that he decided he was going to walk it. And sometimes you start thinking, well, it was, it's fast to get there on my bike. And then when you start walking, judge, Yeah, and you go, oh, well, this is a lot further than I thought. So you can tell by the Vindicator article that we read just before the break that this is obviously a homicide. Brad's body was discovered. He's discovered about two miles down the road from Don Templeman's house in a dumpster behind a dairy store in Boardman Plaza. The dumpster was partially filled, and Brad's body was covered over with cardboard boxes and other waste. Brad's sneakers were sticking up at an angle and his striped pants were undone, according to some reports, and pulled down below the hips. His head was in a downward position and a belt was tightly fastened around his neck. We are going to have an autopsy conducted. Brad's body was brought to the Southside Hospital in Youngstown and a postmortem exam was conducted by Dr. David Blinky. 
The cause of death was strangulation, and he had been sexually assaulted. Now, I'll read some from that report that gives a description of the events as they were reported or understood by the coroner. So, unfortunately, the youth was admitted dead on arrival to the hospital at 9.25 a.m. on April 4th. It was stated by Paul Smith, remember he's the sanitation worker, that while preparing to empty the trash container at 7.55 a.m. into the trash truck, he discovered the body of the deceased in the trash container. This container was behind the Isley Dairy Store, which was located at 263 Boardman Canfield Road, Boardman, Ohio. It was stated by the manager of the dairy store that that container had been emptied on Friday, March 31st. The body of that was of Bradley Bellino lying in a partially filled trash container, then covered over with cardboard boxes and waste from the Isley store and possibly from the attacker. The body laid in the container with his head in a downward position and a belt. This is one inch, one and one eighth inch wide. And the belt size is listed in the coroner's report as size 22 to 24 listed as fastened tightly around his neck. The trousers were pulled down below the buttocks present at the scene were the Boardman police department and the coroner's photographer and the Boardman police department photographer. All necessary photos were taken and the body was then removed to the hospital. This is going to add a little bit to the confusion, but I think this to me clarifies a lot of stuff that we were questioning earlier. And I I like that this was included in the coroner's report. It says Joseph Bellino. So he's the father. He's Brad's father stated. He last saw his son on Thursday afternoon at 1 PM. So this would be March 30th. When the deceased left for the Southern Park Mall, the deceased had also asked permission to stay overnight at a friend's house, one Donald Templeton. There must be a typo here because they spelled his last name wrong. So this would be a Donald Templeman. The deceased was told by his father that he was to return home by 4 p.m. on that day. The deceased then called his father and asked if he could stay longer. Mr. Bellino agreed that his son should return home at 9 p.m. on Friday, March 31st. Mr. Bellino went out the evening of the 31st. Not realizing his son was not home, he had returned home and went to bed about 2 a.m. He awakened at noon and then discovered that his son was not home. He then became concerned and called the Templeman's home. When he discovered that the deceased had left the night before, He began a search. He then called the Boardman Police Department to report his son missing. It was stated by Donald Templeman that the deceased had left his home Friday night at about 7.30 p.m. Donald hadn't seen him since. At this time, the attacker is still at large. One very key piece of information here, Captain, besides the belt information that we went through, is the coroner was able to determine an approximate time of death. And on the autopsy, he writes that the approximate time of death was 9 p.m. April 1st, 1972. So basically, the evidence that we have so far is that we believe that Bradley was two miles from where he left Don's house and that he was murdered on that Friday. 
No, they're putting the time of death the next day, the next night, in fact. So the mm. time of death, is, as we know, is always very important to know. And again, it's it's incredibly good for the investigation, regardless of the confusing parts before, that they were able to narrow this down to approximately 9 p.m. on Saturday. So right. he leaves Don's house at 7.30 p.m. on Friday. Now, later, years later, retired Boardman Police Chief Jack Nichols said it's unlikely Brad was seen Saturday. Remember those supposed unconfirmed sightings of Brad on Saturday? Right. I would I would assume that if he was captured by whoever murdered him, would have done so, like you said, on his way home Friday night, and then you just wouldn't see him uh, body being placed there sometime Saturday. And the police chief is adding additional information to what we already covered in the autopsy that supports this theory that Brad wouldn't have been seen because the chief goes on to say that the meal that was found in his stomach at the autopsy was chicken and pineapple. This is confirmed by all to be the dinner that Brad ate at the Templeman's residence on Friday evening. So it seems likely that Don, his best friend, was in fact the last person besides the killer or killers to see Brad alive. Right. But if the coroner's report is accurate, where the hell was he from 7.30 p.m. Friday until his death on Saturday at approximately 9 p.m.? That leaves like 25 and a half, 26 hours unaccounted for, which leaves the possibility of an unknown location where Brad would have been held for a period of time. And essentially the time period could be longer than that because unless they're giving us information that they believe he was murdered where he was dumped. Right. And it doesn't sound to be that way. I mean, the kid's found upside down in the dumpster with the murder weapon wrapped around his neck. He would have had to have been killed right before being tossed in or killed in the dumpster if he was killed on site. So we've discussed this many, many times here in the garage and in these types of homicides, it is very, very common to have up to three, maybe all of the way up to five or so crime scenes. The problem is not understanding that the problem is locating the crime scenes for the collection of evidence. So because the coroner is saying that there is this lengthy amount of time from the abduction to the murder time, we have a lot of time to account for. So it is very probable that he was held elsewhere overnight. Well, we have the location of the abduction, right? We, we know that somewhere between Don's house and Brad's house, he was we have basically a three, three mile radius. Yeah. So somewhere in that three mile radius, we have crime scene. Number one, the location of the abduction. Then we also have the location of where Brad was held. That's another crime scene. And right. then the body recovery site, the dumpster behind the dairy store. That's another crime scene, but to get Brad from crime scene one to another location to where the bodies recovered from, that's going to recover some that's going to require some form of transportation so was brad transported to and from and how was he transported to and from was it via vehicle well then right. we are now at four crime scenes or possibly five crime scenes if a different vehicle was used to move him after he was held just to be clear you're saying one vehicle to abduct bradley and another vehicle 
that would have taken them to the dumpster. Possibly up to that number. So that puts us at a minimum of five crime scenes, if that were the case. Uh, If the same vehicle were used, we're talking four crime scenes here. Now, something that I found fascinating, Captain, comes from the Ohio Mysteries podcast. So we have host Steve and Paula. They interviewed a man from Boardman, Mark Baker. Mark grew up in Boardman around the time of Brad's murder. And during the course of that interview, Mark gave his insights regarding Brad's walk home that night. So he says, and I'm going to summarize it here. He says that Don's area is a really nice area back then. It's a neighborhood type setting. Brad's home would have been out in the country. So he's walking country roads in the twilight or in the dark. Out, this is after walking out of that Applewood Acres area where Don lives. The, yeah, Mark, that's, that's if we ahead. believe he got that far. Correct. Now, Mark says if he were to make it, you know, as far as possible on that trip, that for about two miles of that walk, Brad would have been walking along lonely, a lonely highway before arriving to his own neighborhood. And then we have to, we have this report from Brad's family that is just, I mean, it, I think it kind of paints a better picture or gives us an idea as to the possibilities of what may have happened that night after he left his best friend's house. The report from Brad's family that hit the papers after he was found killed says that Brad would sometimes hitchhike. Now, we know that in the early 70s, this was something that was much more common People don't do that these days. And Don, his best friend, says a lot of kids, even little kids, their age, 12, would hitchhike back then. Don says he himself hitched rides on occasion, but he said he knew that Brad hitched rides more often than he and likely more often than most kids his age. So, and and Don, Don points out something that's kind of unique, and I think this is something that a lot of us have experienced when we are, when we are smaller kids that he says, look, Don's my family and my best friend, Brad, his family, both, they were quite different from one another. You know, Don is one of the older kids in his family and Brad was the youngest of four and he's 12. And I don't know if anybody else out there has experienced this, but when you're kind of, when you're the oldest and you have a friend that is the youngest, you see a big difference in the way that, that you're kind of treated by your parents, what they Mm -hmm. expect from you, your responsibilities, what they think you're capable of and their fears about their own kids. And often my experience has been this, I'm not saying all the time it's this way, but often my experience has been this. When I've been good friends with with kids that are the youngest in their family, especially when some of them have older siblings that are almost adults or are adults by that time, that the youngest kid is usually like a little more grown up themselves, right? Because they, they've done and experienced things with their older siblings and for longer periods of time than what the oldest out of younger kids may have experienced. So 
I kind of feel like this is a situation where, yeah, Brad was hitching rides more often than his friends would, but maybe it didn't seem so strange to Brad. And I think the thing that makes this even more scary is that we talk about, well, he was going to set out and make this long walk by himself. Well, we don't know his mindset. Maybe his intention was, yeah, sure. I'll just, I'll, at some point I'll be in a car and hitch a ride. I'll start off walking, uh, but somebody will pick me up and, and drop me off closer to my house. And so I just fear here with Brad's case, it seems likely to me one of two possibilities happened. Either he was looking to hitch a ride and he got in the wrong car, or he was out walking by himself and a predator crossed his path and saw him by himself and saw an opportunity. Yeah. Offered him a ride. Don says that, of course, he attended his best friend's funeral, Brad's funeral. He said that uh, he saw that's where he would see Brad's father for the last time. He he did say that, you know, our families, even though the two of us were close, our families weren't close. And he, with him, all the siblings being older and his siblings being younger, they never really crossed paths after that. Uh, about the funeral, he says it was crowded, standing room only as all of the kids from their school, all of the parents and all of the teachers were in attendance and a lot of people in town that didn't even know Brad Bellino or know the Bellino family attended because it just, I mean, it just hit this community very, very hard. Now some evidence that you say is he was his strangulation homicide by strangulation. We believe that, uh, you know, based on, on, on the autopsy, the eyewitness report, there was a belt found around his neck. Yes, that is fact. There was there was a belt found wrapped around his neck. So we know that we have the victim uh, and we have him found with the murder weapon. Now, is that murder weapon his own belt? <laughs> I, I hate to chuckle there because there's no reason to do so other than I already know that that's a very difficult question to answer. So I... From my notes, I'm going to try to give you as much information on this belt as possible because we're often reviewing these cases where there's no murder weapon recovered. So you have a whole mystery there. Here we have a situation where we know what the murder weapon was. We recovered it when we recovered the victim, but there's still some mystery around the murder weapon itself. So the coroner's report indicates that the belt around his neck was size 22 to 24 and was one and one eighth inch wide. And I hope I'm saying that right. So it's a, it's an inch and an eighth wide. Now this is a small belt. It's a child's size belt. I'm not going to pretend to be some kind of fashion guy and understand exactly what size 22 to 24 means, but I've looked it up and I've confirmed it is a child's belt. And I also know that it would not fit me. Of course, the origin of the belt could be significant and police had hoped that it would lead to a suspect. And this is where you're going to see some differing opinions here. Police believe that the belt was purchased at JC Penney's department store, but could never pinpoint an actual location, which JC Penney's there are conflicting reports about whether the belt did in fact belong to Brad. The Bellino family says that they could not confirm whether it was his there showed the belt And they said, you know, it looks like a belt that he may have had. We cannot say 100% certain that it was his. Some news reports say that it did 
belong to him. And I think the reason why some of the news reports say that it did belong to him is because Don says that after his buddy was found, he's brought in and asked a whole bunch of questions and he's trying to help police as much as he can. He says he too was shown the belt and Don says, yes, this belt belonged to my best friend, Brad. Now here's where it gets confusing. We have the friend saying that the belt belongs to Brad. We have the Bellino family saying, we don't know for certain, but we have the cops, right? We have the cops out searching for where it was purchased from. Now that indicates to me that they seem to have reason to believe that it, that it did not belong to Brad. Right. Like it was a newer purchase. Right. Or, or, or maybe the purchase, whenever it took place could lead back to the killer. You know, maybe they wrote a check for it or, or paid with credit card or something of, of that nature. But again, they're able to, they're able to figure out that it came from a JC Penney's department store, which I don't think those exist anymore, but, um, they're able to determine what, what brand or franchise of store that it come from, but not the exact location of which store now to confuse matters even more. There are some reports that say that Brad was found with a belt with this belt around his neck, but also he was still wearing his own belt. So it's really difficult to believe here. There are some reports that indicate that the color of the belt was tan. So the best info I can give you, I think it's, I think personally, if, if I had to decide which, which is difficult to do, not given enough information here, if I had to decide, I would think that this belt may fit Brad. And so it seems likely to me that the killer is an adult and may not own a belt this size and simply took it off of his victim. I mean, much like if you were to attack somebody in their home and you grab a kitchen knife out of their kitchen block in their kitchen and use it at the scene. So it seems to me that it might be like more likely that it did belong to Brad. And we do have Don saying that he believed that it was Brad's belt. But again, it looks like there was a, an effort there to find out otherwise. So maybe police have some information that they've just not released and maybe they know better on this belt. Now, unfortunately, Captain, as we've had to say, Brad was not the first Boardman boy to be murdered, nor the last in this week's story. The first was 15-year-old Thomas Bard. The Boardman youth was found having been spotted by a police cruiser late at night. He was found slumped over on the ground with severe head injuries inflicted. Police believe this was inflicted by a blunt object. Due to the severity of his injuries, police were unable to question him. Thomas Bard was found December 4th, 1970. And when he was found, he was in serious condition and placed in intensive care at the hospital where he died some days later, never regaining consciousness. I want to thank you all for joining us here in the garage and letting us bring some true crime into your earballs. Join us 
back here in the garage tomorrow for more true crime. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't let it. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.